You are listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, located in Denver, Colorado. And you can find out more about us at houseforall.org. before this gospel, Peter just identified Jesus as the Messiah. And now, he's been told that this holy being, his companion and teacher, will suffer and be rejected. Not just cast aside, but as the original Greek text connotes, he is to be thoroughly tested, examined by the elders, the high priests, and the scribes, the old men at the top of the bureaucratic ladder, and through their scrutiny, they'll judge him inadequate and label him to be thrown away as junk. This must have sent Peter's arteries into a hypertensive crisis. And if that horrifying prediction wasn't bad enough, Jesus had the nerve to say, quite matter-of-factly, and after that, but I'll be back by the end of the weekend, how could that possibly feel? Peter loved this man who just revealed himself to be the Messiah, the chosen one. And only moments later, his worst nightmare wasn't some impossible fever dream. Stitched together by complete nonsense like dreams often are, but dripping in desperate terror. It was as clear and unequivocal as a segment of the nightly news. By this point, there'd been miraculous healings, thousands fed with essentially a small handful of Lot's bagels, demons had been exercised, and why the hell not? A little nighttime stroll across the surface of a lake. If all of those impossible things had come to pass, why would this be different? In shock, Peter takes Jesus aside to say, Dude, what in the name of God have you gotten into? looking nervously over his shoulder to see if the crowd had heard any of what Jesus had just said. I like to imagine Jesus looking at Peter saying, girl, you need to chill, before delivering the coup de grace, literally a single merciful blow that puts an end to another's suffering, coup de grace. In front of the entire party, the apostles, the fandom alike, Jesus delivers maybe the most profound teaching in all of the Gospels. When it seems so obvious, so ridiculously obvious, that salvation is a prize, we've been poisoned by unholy venom. Venom that makes salvation seem like an award, reserved for whoever comes in first place. Whoever can run out the competition, outgun the opposition, those who grave glory in whatever form it may take, mansion money, hush money, bucks to build bombs, all who would claw their way to the front of the line to get God's signature saying, I'm the chosen one, and in the name of God, all should bow to me. But salvation doesn't exist in power or prestige. Salvation awaits us at the cross. Sounds like a blast, doesn't it? 
And it's not a sentence you'd ever have heard me say before coming to house, just for the record. What does the cross mean to you? What does salvation mean to you? Every single day there are crucifixions, innumerable, efficient as slaughterhouse, and uniform like warrants and sentences stamped with government seals and signatures, all as a means of staying in first place and flunking everyone else, putting on a show like they could have won if they just tried a little harder. Thinking back to Peter, I wonder how much the first half of what Jesus had said eclipsed that last little bit of the prophecy, the rise again part. Long before I found house, I was called to practice Tibetan Buddhism. One meditation, by the grace of God, floats to the surface of my mind frequently enough that I'm reminded how hollow it is to be the first in fact. I'm reminded of the total fabrication that anything I've ever done or will ever do comes from me alone, like I earned something, like I won a prize. Not a single thing in this entire universe is my doing alone. I speak and understand because billions before me did the work of marrying sound and meaning. I know how to apologize because I was taught by my sponsor and I had the opportunities to practice apologizing to people I'd hurt. I play all of my instruments and record my music because others invented every piece of gear, every scale, every chord, all of the things that make it all hum with vibrance. Not even my body is truly mine. I am just a lucky sperm that found a home in a lucky egg, and every eyelash, every freckle, every taste bud came from all who came before me. And there's a lucky little taste bud back there too. <laughs> the cross isn't lying down and giving up to a cruel, unjust fate. The cross is chosen. The cross is an act of rebellion. In this socioeconomic order, the cross means serving those in need, not enabling venomous greed. It makes me sick to my stomach to think that taking up the cross would mean, well, could mean, suffering stoically, or even joyfully, at the hands of the corrupt American empire and the Caesars of our day. Letting Ron DeSantis and the rest of the Republican murder machine set the stage for trans genocide and reinstate every possible law and legal loophole to keep people of color disenfranchised and disproportionately vulnerable to the state's monopoly over the means of violence. While milquetoast Democrats stick their heads further and further into the quicksand laid by the right, acting like Pharisees flaunting their moral superiority by their deference to unjust laws, as if following the letter of the law was their cross to bear. That's not what I see in this gospel. The good news I see is the unquenchable wellspring of life that is born of service. Self-sacrifice that isn't self-destruction, but strength gained through sharing. Spending less time praying someone else will undo this mess 
and praying for the strength to roll up our sleeves and have the courage to do what we are each uniquely called to do. Far be it for me to say what's reasonable or extreme for any of us. Maybe there are those in this room with crosses like Harriet Tubman's or Nelson Mandela's. There are the crosses of ordained people, healers, teachers, parents, artists, and lovers. These are all so beautiful, so legitimate. But what breaks my heart is the cross that I keep on my tongue. Through forests and canyons, across rivers and oceans, no matter how fast or far I run, I find myself Looney Tune style, coming back face to face with it yet again and again and again. In the light of all the forces that imprison all that sicken, all that leave bodies emaciated and hungry. I feel foolish and unworthy. I'm not burdened with the cross of Frodo carrying the ring to Mordor. My cross isn't Spock's as he gives his life to save the Enterprise from the detonation of the Genesis device. My cross isn't even Muntadar al-Zaidi's throwing a shoe at George Bush, calling him a dog. I feel embarrassed to even name my cross. Because compared to Martin Luther King Jr., Harry Hayes, Sylvia Rivera, Harriet Tubman, Marsha P. Johnson, compared to the Mother Mary, I am shameful and inadequate. Do I even have something worth sharing? Can I really even serve? When I hear music that speaks to my soul, I cry. And I cry when I think about how utterly useless I feel playing pretend. Like music has anything remotely like that power when I'm playing it. For decades, I've known that music is my life. It's unique among the gifts of spirit. And for much of that time, I've let insecurity fear of failure, and the machinations of empire berate and ridicule. One of my favorite things to preach is that each and every single one of us is a piece of this divine seven-dimensional puzzle, each unquestionably essential. I believe that so easily, so viscerally, when I'm looking at everyone else. but I still succumb to the voice that says, Alice, get real. You're a half-rate entertainer who's barely worth a paycheck, let alone someone's sincere attention. Get a real job. Get a real cross. How many of you feel that way about something that means a whole lot to you? All of this thinking about the mysterious, revitalizing power of sacrifice hit differently when I remembered what I chose to give up for Lent. This year, I chose to give up the vice that keeps me from knowing the life I'll find on the other side of the cross. Fear. 
specifically the fear that keeps me from taking my music seriously enough to make it real. Just sit down and write it, record it, and share it with anyone who wants to hear it. With the hope that they'll feel even the tiniest bit less alone, less powerless, less distraught. Fear of failure, of not being good enough, or worse yet, at the end of the day, fear of wasting my time on something frivolous and naive when I could have been doing something that actually mattered, helping people with real problems. That insidious fear keeps me from giving what I have, all that I have, and letting God do the rest. In the absence of fear, everything is already there. My soul is alive when I cling tight to that cross. And every time I take it upon my shoulder, I think of everything I have to lose and how alone I am and how alone I must be to survive. After all that's been said, does that make any damn sense at all? To let fear isolate me is to listen, to let Satan have the last laugh. Here at House, how are we letting fear confuse us? What are we afraid of losing? Despite fear's power to riddle my body with uncontrollable shaking, I have faith that I keep coming back to the same cross for some holy reason. I have no desire to be or do anything beyond what is best for all, be it soothing, inflammatory, playful, or something else entirely. All I want to do is serve. The way I was made to serve. Not for fame or notoriety, beyond the kind that'll keep my rent paid, my family from going hungry. But as a house for all, I'm so curious. What is our unique service to give? What is our cross? As a musician, nothing I create is uniquely mine. I'm just another flower struggling, struggling to blossom on the high branch of a tree whose Every flower hums an angel's song. And my silliest and most sincere fear is that I'll be the ugly flower singing out of tune. But even if that's the case, maybe that's exactly why I was created. Maybe my tone is the one that pulls the others around me into a new harmony. And maybe we all share a bit of that karma. Maybe the way you stick out isn't a reflection of how you don't fit with what already is. Maybe your cross is eccentric, literally moving out of the center, making new centers of gravity for the last and the least to be held in charity. You've been listening to the sermon podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. 
If you would like to support the ongoing ministry of our church, please visit our website at houseforall.org giving.